Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Hey church, this is Pastor Pete. Part of this original message contains a family talk that has been left out of this recording. If you're part of the Salem Heights Church family and would like a complete copy of this message, please call the church office at 503-588-0403. Enjoy the sermon. Well, aren't you glad to be here this morning? Yeah. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis 32. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. We're going to look at that this morning, and I... uh, I want you to know that I am aware that Genesis is not Acts, okay? If you just brought Acts with you, I am uh, sorry, um, but that should also be a clue. Uh, w- when we were preparing the, uh, you know, months in advance, the, the sermon run, this one was not there, and so this morning we need to have a, a moment to, to do a, a couple of things. We're going to look at this passage uh, and let it kind of guide our thoughts through a family chat. I know that for some of you, this is a hard Sunday to be able to listen. You just uh, came here really on the interim, the preparation for a chief seven-point victory this afternoon. And uh, <laughs> so while the wings are cooking, you're here, uh, you know, doing your final prayers to, <laughs> for your team. Um, but we do have to uh, veer off of our normal course of study for what we would consider a family chat. And that is because there are some things that we need to walk through as a church family this morning uh, that are important, um, but they may uh, require some scriptural preparation. For those of you that uh, typically take a look at the notes and you race ahead of the pastor and try to fill in the blanks thinking that you know where he is headed, okay? I want you to stay just right with me. Don't walk ahead. Don't try to come to any pre-understood conclusions. I want you to uh, walk through this passage with me. Hear the points that are made. Think about your own life and then consider a situation uh, that's going on here. And uh, we're going to ask you as a church to rightly respond before God this morning. Genesis chapter 32 Starting with verse 22, let's stand as we read this. This is the story of Jacob. He's on the way to see his brother Esau, a famous moment in salvation history. And it says this, the same night he arose and he took his two wives, two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that's on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Father, as we look at this passage, I pray that you would once again guide us, as you always do, to see your word, your thoughts, your heart. Help us to, um, Father, make some discoveries that will grow us. There are moments where you have to change our direction, put us through a painful moment in order for us to experience your best in the future. We thank you for the pictures of that in Scripture, the promise of that in our own life, and I pray, Father, that uh, we will walk forward in faith that you still do that today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here we have a uh, famous moment as Jacob is found wrestling with God. An interesting statement in the middle of that passage. It says that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him all night long. It seems hard to have that be two sentences side by side, right? He was either alone or he wasn't. But here he was alone, and in that moment, he is found wrestling with God, who intends to break him and then bless him. It's an important distinction. He did not leave him broken. He intended to bless him after he saw his limitations. The first thing, uh, and first of all, we're not going to be able to mine all the gold out of this passage this morning. We're going to take some instructive thoughts that will help us through the rest of the morning. But the first thing that I want you to see this morning in this passage is that in Jacob's life and in ours, no one discovers who they are by being told. The truth is revealed on life's trail. Remember, Jacob was the child of a promise. Uh, When we talk about the God of Israel, we say it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We speak about Jacob as Uh, one of the fathers of the faith. He is one of the ones, after this, it becomes too complicated to say Jacob uh, and then all of his children. So we say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the patriarchs, right? Because he has 12, and Israel would forever be named according to their tribes. That would be Jacob's children. This child was promised to his mother to be the one that would lead and carry on the family name. When they were still in the womb, when they found out that they were going to have children, they were told by God that there are two nations within your womb. And remember, she's pregnant and then thinking, it is so much of a war going on inside me. There's no way this is healthy. And she says, God, how can this be that all this turmoil is going on inside of me? He says, there's two nations inside. And the older will serve the younger. Jacob. The second one to arrive out of the womb would be the one ultimately that would carry on not only the family name, but would be the name of Israel to this day. You can't just discover who you are by being told, though. Jacob tried to fit into his name, fit into his promise, fit into all those things by grasping after it. He ruined his relationship with his father. 
He ruined his relationship with his brother. He ruined his relationship with his father-in-law. He ruined his relationship with his wives initially. And so far, we're just saying Jacob's tracking like most of us. Our decisions, our actions, our activities can get in the way of God's best for us. But the entire time, he was grasping out to be who it was that God had made him to be. Always struggling. Jacob's name means heel grabber, one who wrestles, or even deceiver. And he was always wrestling, always grabbing, always tripping others on his way to being who he is. Finally at Jabbok, God says, it's time for the big reveal. You no longer get to figure it out on your own. I am taking over from here. I'm going to show you who you really are. And everything that we understand about Israel, his name, and what he is today, all of the blessings proceed after Jabbok, after this moment. Before we jump off there, I I want you to think... uh, about your own life. J. Robert Clinton studying uh, in a doctoral thesis over 5,000 great leaders in both biblical history and in church history came to the conclusion that across the board, especially in the areas of leadership in the church, but for men and women who aspire to lead within the faith community, there seems to be six transitions in life that all go through. Sovereign foundations, you start off at the very beginning, and much of who you are, you can see seeds of it in your childhood, the family that you were raised in and the personality that you had there, the inner life growth that you then gain as you are heading either towards ministry or toward your role in the church becomes evident to you and to others, and then ministry maturing, you begin to refine what it is that you were called to do. And then life maturing, it's not just that you know a bunch of stuff and you can do a bunch of stuff, but now you are a bunch of stuff. You become clearer and you, be, you become more wise in your application. If you think that you have reached maturity at 30, it's because you haven't matured, okay? You're heading there, you're getting a bunch of information, but to actually watch it in the middle of the mess, that's when you mature. But these final stages, that's two-thirds of your life are lived in those first four stages, but the uh, final stage seems to be set that the time of richest influence in the life of a man or woman of God is in their 60s and 70s. And this is what, uh, as they were doing the studies, they said what you are doing and what you are doing and being converge into just one sweet drop, an essence of who you really are is revealed in those final years. And for a short season, everything that you have learned and everything that you are are applied in the best way in your own personal life and in the lives of those that you are around. This is why we say to the senior saints on a regular basis, it's not just to butter them up, but truly the life of our church has been better because they have continued to influence and pray and pour into us. Aren't you thankful for them? These are the folks who have wisdom and direction and clarity to be able to say, this is where you are headed, or they don't freak out when something gets a little turbulent. They've been there before. Convergence is what we're shooting for, but normally in those transitions, to get from one stage to a net, to the, uh, the next, it can be a little tricky. We don't discover who we are by being told, but the second thing I'd have you see is that the path to ultimate calling often requires a painful transition. 
It says that the same night he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok, and he took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had, and Jacob was alone. Everything is on the line. He's about to see Esau, and it looks like everything is done, and he comes to a point where everything that he has been doing has reached him at Jabbok. It's important when you're especially in the Old Testament to notice the place names and the people names that are handed to you as you're walking through a story. God, in the brilliant way that he's put together scripture, gives you clues to what he wants you to take away as you are reading that passage. And in this place, it says, he came to the place called pouring out. This is the place where Jacob gets completely poured out. He sees the face of God. He gets touched in a way that would mark him for the rest of his life, but he walks forward in strength. Who he was and everything that we appreciate about him, we discover on the other side of Jabbok after he was poured out and he responds to the face of God. God met Jacob at his pouring out. But in order for him to proceed, in order for him to enter into that name of Israel, he had to go through a painful transition. Terry Walling has written a book about these different transitions in the life of a leader and then the life of a man or woman of God, trying to help people discover when it is that God is help wanting you to transition from one stage of life to another. And most of the time, we are reluctant to experience change. Anybody with me? We're right there. But how do you know that change is inevitable, that there, there is a change that is coming that you must embrace in order to flourish at the next stage? Common characteristics of all transition moments. He lists them here. He says, do you have a continued sense of restlessness? There are prolonged season of confusion about who you are, about what you're doing, or from others about the same. Is there new or resurfacing self-doubt? Is there an ongoing lack of motivation for any aspect of your um, consistent life? Is there a sense of paralysis or prolonged inactivity? Do you have a continuing uncertainty? Do you have diminished confidence about your abilities or the abilities of others to help? Do you have a continued lack of clarity? This isn't a sign that you are done or washed up. It's a sign, he says, that there is a transition. The old one is losing its grasp and the new one must become clear. But it's painful. I think it's well stated that who you are is not written in the stars. You can't just have somebody read your palm and tell you this is what is going to happen, but it quite often is written in your scars. As you walk through life, you will experience different trials and episodes that will mark you and that will clarify who you are. Everybody going into the army can uh, understand as they're getting ready to go to war, especially if you've ever been in an actual firefight, you see the difference between somebody who has gone through basic and they make all the declarations about who they are and how they're going to stand and how they're going to respond in that moment. But after you've gone through the first firefight, they will say, I can look around and tell you who is going to remain and who won't, who is actually strong. 
You can declare all you want in the training season. It's when you go into battle that that is proved. The scars reveal you. In fact, I would have you understand, I I believe that it's evident in uh, Scripture and in this episode that, that we live with two truths continually as believers. One, we often cannot appreciate blessings in our life and we cannot appreciate our calling without a trial. You can't appreciate what it is that you have until it looks like it may be gone. You can't appreciate what it is that you are actually called to do until it looks like that may get set aside. There's an appreciation and a love for that that gets clarified in those moments. Trials in that sense are a gift that highlight for you and those around you the value of a life. But the second truth that we live with continually is that we are not able to handle or appropriately use our blessing. We're not able to handle our calling unless prepared through a trial. Trials are the gift that cut away false idols. An idol is something that you look at and it is the thing that if it rewards you or blesses you, you will be settled or comforted. Anything that you are looking at and saying, if I bow down or I work hard for this or I participate in this or I'm active about this, this will bless me. Well, a trial cuts that away and shows you that that thing will not meet you in the mess. Only God will. A trial cuts away our pet sins and our false comforts that are secondary. There are things that a trial will remove, and you say, wow, I thought that I needed that, but it turns out I don't. But also a trial is a gift that can create endurance and add skill. Every single one of us here can appreciate the Olympic runner who runs well and finishes the race. None of us believe we're going to hear from that runner at the end. Well, you know, this week I was just sitting on the couch. I thought, you know, I'm going to get up and run a race. No, you hear from them about the endurance and the years of training and the dedication and uh, everything from what they eat and what they do to what they participate is finally crafted so that they could win that race. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of intensity. And their lung capacity and their muscle strength has been trained through trials that they put themselves willingly into in order to be shaped for that which is better. Jacob wasn't ready for Jabbok. He wasn't ready for that moment of being poured out until he had wrestled with his father, until he had wrestled with Esau, until he had wrestled with Laban, until he had wrestled with his family, until he had done all of that and saw his weakness, he was not ready to be poured out and let God take the next stage. God was waiting for him when he was alone at Jabbok with no answers. I'd have you also see in here that trials are not just to shape and reveal who we are to us, which is quite often how we read Scripture. What does this mean to me? But trials are there to remind us who we are to God. God meets Jacob at this place where he is poured out, and he renames him. Yes, you have been this entire time the heel grabber. You have been the wrestler. You have been the one who has struggled with everyone that is around. You have worked hard to find your place. And he says, but now you will be Israel. What is the difference? Well, his name went meant heel grabber and disturber, right? And now he is Israel. Instead of 
Jacob's striving. It is Israel, literally, God strives. You thought you had to fight for your place, and everything in your life shows that you were fighting for a place, but how about this? I'm the one that will be fighting for your place from now on. He is the one. From that point forward, God would fight for him. When he reminds him, your name is Israel, I will fight for you. He crosses that brook, and he had a plan. I don't know how I'm going to survive this, but I'm sending him all that is good in front to see if Esau will take from that and leave me alive. But he runs into somebody who has been transformed before he met him by God. God took care of that battle. He would meet him one more time and remind him, you are no longer Jacob, you are Israel, when he was getting prepared to see his son Joseph. The next story that unfolds is Joseph and his being sent down to Egypt where they thought that he was dead. And they arrive down there in Egypt. There is a long period where he is not sure what is going on. And all of a sudden, the 70 that Jacob has become, now Israel, arrive safely down in the land of Goshen. They are all taken care of by this one who could only survive and arrive at the head of Egypt by God's hand. What was Joseph's statement at the end of the book? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What is he saying? God was the one striving for us when you didn't care. His name gets proved out every single generation after that. You thought it was up to you, but I'm the one that's actually been guiding the story. He gives him a legacy name that we still look at and are amazed. God continues to add to that legacy. He was valuable to God. I want you also to notice something. It's a super important verse in this passage in verse 31. It says, and the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Remember the place named Penuel, the face of God. Literally, it was the brightest day and the sweetest day as he passed in front of the face of God. Yes, he's still limping, but he was limping into a new promise. He would limp the rest of his days aware that anything good that had happened didn't come from his strength, his ability. It came from God's strength and God's ability. Amen? And God carried him into that final stage where his legacy and name have remained. That's a profound thing. 